Guys, welcome um, back for the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. I know it's been a while, apologies for that. Two reasons. One, I had to get my recording deck sorted out. A couple of the buttons weren't behaving as they should have done, but I think it was more an error on my part. But everything's been sorted now, and so we're good to go again. I just wanted to tell you, know, this episode is just a more clean-up exercise, so I'm catching up with what I haven't had a chance to speak about. And hopefully, you know, setting up things for what comes forward. Um, just a few interesting observations in this podcast. Just something. I think this is one of those where if you're working from home, the weather's nice, but you're stuck having to do reports, whatever it is you have to do. Or if you're at work and you're social distancing, so you can't even have a chat with your mate. Hopefully, this will get you through a few minutes of your day. So you listening to this, really appreciate it. It's it's humbling. I can't put it into words, but it is humbling to know that we're still doing the numbers we're doing. And actually, over the lockdown, the numbers have gone up. I think we're one of the few outlets in the boxing world where the numbers have gone up. Now, that doesn't mean that we're doing bazinga numbers, obviously, but we'd like to get there one day. I also wanted to thank you guys for supporting the episode I did with Larry on drugs and boxing. Now, there are a lot of things I can say about this. It's trending towards two and a half thousand spins, which will be amazing. Like we had, on this podcast, we haven't done those numbers before. We did two thousand for an Anthony Yard episode. God knows how that happened, but and we never hit those heights again. So I don't know what happened on that day. Um, generally, everything else has fallen into place. The numbers were really good. We had really good traction from Australia. Good traction in America, and a lot of the calls and messages I got back from people in other sports who are glad that we shone a light on boxing and said this isn't a virtuous sport like people try and pretend the calls and messages I have from people in boxing who are trying to understand you know how real is the is the problem and I think a lot of people have now sobered their attitudes up and a lot of trainers managers handlers and boxers themselves have really tough questions to ask themselves around if I want to be a world champion, what do I do? Because the truth is you can probably get there on talent, but you can't have a, a world championship career and stay clean. The body's just not going to let you do that. So there were a lot of tricky issues that we tackled. I think it's probably the most comprehensive discussion on doping and boxing there has been or probably will ever be. But I, I, I want to touch on Larry, and I don't think Larry gets the credit he deserves for what he did. That takes a lot of courage to step up and to, to open an, a part of his soul, because obviously he can't say everything because he's got relationships with people in the sport still. But for him to be able to give you that inside view that comes with a scientific background and a man who actually did the doping. We should respect him. It's easy to say, I don't, I don't take him at his word because he's a drugs cheat, therefore he could be lying. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Everything we've ever learned about the messed up stuff that happens in life, is from the people that get caught. Because if you don't get caught, why are you going to snitch on yourself? It doesn't make any sense, right? So people need to be less ignorant about that and realise what Larry gave you was a treasure trove and it gave you some indicators for what to look for. Because one of the questions I still have, and I asked this at the time, why is it that boxers always say their supplements were contaminated with steroids? As if supplement companies are making steroids on the side. Now, there's an idea, right? Now you start to look and go, well, if they're making steroids, and in making steroids, it's contaminating the good stuff that they sell. 
Who are these people? Where are boxers buying this stuff? Because, and here's the point. You don't want to be a professional boxer or affiliated to one. Male ordering steroids. Male ordering growth hormone. Male ordering anything that might get you on the radar. So you've got to be collecting your stuff domestically. Then you start to ask questions. Can I find a supplement company? Can I find this? Can I find that? Can I find someone with a bodybuilding background? Can I find someone who's helped other athletes in other sports dope? And then once you start to join all these dots together as boxing fans, you can figure out who's got the suspicion over them. It's not hard. It's, it's the people they associate with. It's the circles they move in. It's their behavior. Do they go away for unexplained periods of time? All these sorts of things. And I thought Larry did that really well. Part of me, actually, if I'm being really honest with you, I find, and I've spoken to a lot of people in boxing in my time, and I found Larry to be very much a renaissance man. And I want to do a part two with Larry, but like I said in, in the doping episode, I didn't want to revisit drugs in boxing, but I do want to get Larry back on, so I need to speak to him, because I think Larry has a lot more to say about things, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from that perspective of, we're talking drugs. I think there are other things he, he'd probably be interesting in terms of his perspective. Because I think he's had a hard time, if I'm being brutally honest with you, where people have whored him out for their own agendas. Now, if I'm being honest, I quite like what Richard Poxon's doing. He's, he's looking at drugs in boxing and he is, it's a bee in his bonnet at the moment, which is fair enough. It's something that he has a passion for. But I've seen some of this barbershop stuff that these guys are doing because they've got nothing better to do, if we're being honest. And it feels like they're getting Larry in just for the salacious side of it. And they tread this really strange path of they want the sound bites and they want the, the oh shit moment. But they don't necessarily want him to throw boxing under the bus. So they're kind of there like, we've got mates who are connected. Because even the guys presenting were sitting uneasily in their seats when Larry was talking. And they had that look about them, like, what does he know about us and the people we associate with? So I didn't really like how Larry was, was being dragged through that circuit. And I like to feel that what we gave Larry was just a platform to say, mate, be you. Instead of being the villain, my friend, be the voice of reason, be the light shining on this problem. And I feel we managed to do that. So thanks to Larry, just... I'm going to put this out to the audience. If you want to hear Larry back on, let me know. And then I can speak to him and say, look, we can do numbers again. We'll change the nature of the conversation. We'll talk about other stuff, but we'll get Larry back on because I really appreciate what he did. He didn't have to do that, but he, he felt he did what was right. So I really enjoyed that. So, you know what I mean? Hopefully you guys all enjoyed that episode. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to it because... That's one of those moments where I feel there's nothing more we could have added to that episode. But since I've kind of gone dark, one of the things that's really taken a life of its own and it's kind of surprised me, not, not oh, it hasn't disappointed me, but it has surprised me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why has everyone got so excited about it? Well, actually, I understand why. But, you know, the, the supposed and alleged return of Mike Tyson has garnered more press column inches, more video spins than anyone could have expected. It's an absolute, <laughs> I haven't got the words for it, but guys, you know, we, we all love the sound of Mike Tyson coming back, don't we? 
Now, I'm as nostalgic as everyone. Like, I love the idea of seeing Mike in a ring again. You know, that's my nostalgic head on. I'd love to see Mike. But Mike Tyson's 54 years old, you know. Mike Tyson's best years were in the 80s. That's a whole decade of the 90s, a whole decade of the 2000s, a whole decade of the 2010s and now into 2020. We haven't seen a, a prime, a fit, a dedicated and obsessed Mike Tyson for that long. And in that time, let's look what happened. Chris Eubank Jr. has been born. George Groves has been born. Boxed and retired. James DeGale kind of been born, boxed and retired. A lot of people have been and gone. They've had lives, not just careers, they've had lives in the time that Tyson hasn't been that active. So when I look at this, I then have to strip away the hype and the, the being a Twitter expert and being a, a super fan and a hardcore and a guy on the inside. Let's strip all of that away. Let's just, just move everything back and go, what can we see in front of us if we're Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson sees silly season. There's no sport happening. Mike Tyson sees that on every TV station, it's nostalgia. Michael Jordan. This guy, that guy. The, the Miami Dolphins of 1972 that went unbeaten. Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. Um, Daryl Strawberry and the New York Mets. Just thinking nostalgia. You know, Ric Flair. Um, Andre the Giant. All this nostalgia is coming back because of a lack of current programming, because everyone was obsessed with live content. That's where all the budget went, because that's what brought the viewers in. So into this realm of nostalgia, where young kids are now going back and looking at Mike Tyson, where eyes are just on screens because we have nothing else to do, no bars, no restaurants, no distractions. We're just well wedded to our screens. Mike Tyson does what I would do too. He hints at a comeback. There you go. Nostalgia. A sense that Mike was a real fighter, a guy who didn't duck a challenge, which is what we struggle with now. Um, Mike's just, you know, he's a character, the podcast, everything about him, what he did in The Hangover, everything that Mike's done, his reinvention. And while we've loved that reinvention, we haven't seen the savage. He's hinted at it on his podcast. And now he does the video that says it's still there. And every fan with two brain cells to rub together is now like, I can see how Mike Tyson can beat someone. So I don't know how many views the Mike Tyson videos have done on social media. Let's just say 50 million as a minimum, right? Probably closer to 100 million. Mike Tyson, a 20-something second clip edited to look good of him hitting pads, moving, looking like the old Mike. And now we're talking about we could quite like, we'd like to see him against guys like Shannon Briggs, even guys like Dave Allen. 
a 54-year-old Mike Tyson who's been through everything in life. Do you really want to see that? I don't think you do. So that's why Mike Tyson's really, really smart. Because what Mike then says is, if I've got 100 million people watching me, if I've got 5 million, even if 5 million of those are following my moves to see what I do next, let me sell this space. So I think one of the videos he did, I saw was followed by like a, an advert for, for cups. I've seen Mike Tyson's done a, a video for Weibo, which I think is a Chinese social network. Mike Tyson, I'm on Weibo now. And let you know the possibility I might come back. But if I do, I'm going to fight with the spirit of And that there, ladies and gentlemen, is the genius of Mike Tyson. You turn your your appearance, your sudden appearance at this juncture of popular culture, sport and boxing where the light is firmly on you and you sell that to a Chinese social media company. Now their brand is linked to you. That's 50 million people who are going, what is this? Let me go and check it out. Whatever you've paid Mike Tyson, that was worth it. Because people are like, oh, he still might come back. So Mike dangles that carrot onto the next advert, onto the next promotional piece, onto the next thing, promote your podcast now. Now you start to do Joe Rogan-ish numbers. Mike won't fight again. Because even if he wants to, Mike is so steeped in the history of boxing that he knows it doesn't work. Let's use the example of Nigel Ben. When Nigel Ben said he was coming back, we loved the idea of the Dark Destroyer coming back because we haven't seen the likes of Nigel Ben for a long time. But once the nostalgia wears away and you look at you, go, that's a man in his mid-50s. He's a father. He's lived many lives in his 55 years on this planet. He's put his body through hell. There can't be anything left for him to fight. And so there wasn't. But people entertain the journey because Nigel Ben is a legend. And Nigel has earned the right to come in and to leave boxing any way that he wants. If he wants to just come in for 30 seconds to make some money and duck out, Nigel's earned that right because no fan can ever say he didn't give you entertainment. But he saw he wasn't the man that he thought he was against younger prospects. They were smarter than him. They didn't know more about boxing than he did. They were just more resilient physically than he was because they haven't been through what he went through. That's why your career ends. Your career ends because you give so much of yourself to that sport that one day there's nothing left. And you just about have enough left that you can have a normal life like the rest of us. Mike's no different. Mike's body cannot take 
the rigors of a professional boxing camp. And I don't think he'd pretend that it could. Would Mike look amazing for 40 seconds? Absolutely. And if he got you out of there in 40 seconds, God help us. But at the moment, people would love to see Mike come back because he harks back to an era where guys gave you entertainment and savagery. Where our heavyweight champions were brutal and they weren't selling Lucasade. They weren't, there was no flames, man. You came to the ring. If you were lucky, you got a towel around your neck. Otherwise, you just came ready to fight. There was no elaborate entrance. It was just fighting. And we, we missed that. And Mike hints at a return to that. But really what Mike's in this business for is to make money, is to promote the things he makes money from. And ultimately, that's what this is all about. Put the Evander Holyfield stuff to the side. Those two fighting again wouldn't be pleasant. I promise you now it wouldn't be pleasant. It would be sad to watch. You know, it's interesting that none of them are calling out Lennox because they know Lennox stays ready. Lennox isn't an idiot. Lennox knows someone might call him out one day and he's got to be ready to, to get that three-month camping so he can go. So if this was serious, we'd be hearing about serious names. But Mike, Mike knows what he's doing. And he's... He's come out of this lockdown a winner at a time when not many boxers have. And it's a reminder that the two most relevant people in boxing, Floyd Mayweather and Mike Tyson, in terms of driving social media traffic, driving social media engagement, getting views, are two retired boxers. No one has stepped up. Not Joshua, not Wilder, not Fury, not Errol Spence, not Terence Crawford, no one has stepped into that void and transcended the sport. That's what should be worrying boxing fans, that no one has stepped up. And that's the disappointment. So in terms of Mike, I say, Mike Tyson, keep making your money. You don't need boxing. I've said this so many times about Shannon Briggs. The worst thing Shannon Briggs could ever do in his life is fight again. We just need him to keep selling us that hope that maybe he's still got it. And we love that. We love that, that warmth it gives us to go, you know what, I think Shannon, if he landed that left hook on someone, I mean, he could still be world level. I don't want to see it because my heart tells me it ain't there anymore. And I feel the same about Mike. It isn't there anymore. But I love the nostalgia. This is the perfect time for nostalgia because there's nothing fresh coming through. So Mike Tyson, keep making your money. So what else has been happening? Um, I'll tell you what has happened. And it's, it's tricky ground to walk because you know what you want to say, but you also want to keep your kneecaps intact. And I'm joking. MTK have now come into the media and, and I, don't, I, I don't know how this plays out. And I, I'm trying to understand where this has come from and why it's such a big deal all of a sudden. So if we just go back to the genesis of what happened, what's the genesis of MTK? Matthew Macklin has been friends with Daniel Kinahan since they were kids, from what I can gather. So the narrative generally goes, they've been friends since they were children, they played Gaelic football together, they did this, they're, they're mates. And that's fine, no, no issue with that. Be mates with whoever you want, it's not my business. 
So over Matthew's career, and he wanted to train in Marbella, warm weather training, makes sense. So, all right, we'll get a boxing gym. And in that boxing gym, we'll let fighters come out here for their camps. And that grows into Matthew Macklin giving his expertise and giving some advice. And obviously, from, from what we can piece together, he's received some kind of support from Daniel Kinahan as friends. Matthew Macklin being a boxer, Daniel Kinahan being a boxing fan and a man that wanted to get involved in boxing. MGM, as it was known at the time, Macklin's Jim Bayer, then grows into this bigger entity. And as it grows, and this is how you know it's serious, the original MGM, as in the MGM Grand and so forth, said, no, 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 you can't keep using that name. And you definitely can't keep using the motif. So it then changed to Mac the Knife, which was Matthew Macklin's name. That yeah, was his ring moniker. And so now you've got MTK, but you've still got the same people behind it. Fine. My stance on MTK, I think MTK have been brilliant for boxing. I think without MTK, we wouldn't have boxing as we know it right now. And I'll outline those reasons later. But I'm, I'm pro-MTK, and because of that, I'm pro-Daniel Kinahan. Because in his time there, now, if you want to say he's not part of it, fine. But in those MGM days, between him and... Matthew Macklin, they did what very few people could do. And I've watched people, friends of mine, try and do this. They built a boxing entity able to compete with the big boys. We had a legitimate third voice that wasn't McHennessy for a change. We had a legitimate third voice that wasn't Barry McGuigan. We had a legitimate third voice that seemed to have the financial muscle to become almost like the Lib Dems of the whole thing. And so we get to the Regency shooting in 2016, which I don't want to touch on. I'm not close enough to it. My Irish listeners, feel free to message me and give me the wider context. I know some of the details, gang feuds, this, that, and the third. What I do know is having been to Ireland, Ireland's a pretty serious place. So I don't really want to tread on toes and talk about stuff that I don't understand. But all I know is the Regency shooting seemed to bring a lot of attention on the operations of MTK, uh, MGM as it was. And so there's been this whole cleansing exercise where, you know, the, you know Daniel Kinahan and so forth are no longer involved in it. And Sandra Vaughan has purchased MTK. And so now MTK is doing whatever it's doing. That's fine. Like I said, I'm pro-MTK. We needed something like MTK. And look, Sandra's, Sandra Vaughan has said it herself. She's been absolutely clear on IFL. Um... We can question the objectivity of the questioning, which is fine, but, you know, she's a corporate CEO. She's not going to step much off the reservation, and I think that's the right thing to do. Communicated in Ireland is not communicated anywhere else in the world. It's, it's bizarre what happened over there. You know, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years that, that what happens in Ireland, you know, they're alone to themselves, you know. So, anyway, everyone knows Legally, legitimately, I purchased the business from Matthew Macklin in 2017. No ties to Daniel Kinahan, there was no contract, there was no financial transaction, absolutely nothing. So what I'm going to tell you is, I'm going to give you an idiot's guide to management, right? Because <laughs> I think that's maybe well, the one... I think you do need to spell it out in that way, because it seems like there are people interpreting their own stories around it. 
Exactly. So this is an idiot's guide, and I'm not talking about the general people. They'll understand when I say it. This is just for the Irish press because this is what you're dealing with, you know, on a daily basis. Think about it, cooking. There's a pandemic on. It's not just an epidemic. There's a pandemic on, and they're only interested if Daniel Kinahan has got anything to do with MTP. Like that blows my mind. But anyway, I'll go back back to the idiot's guide. Okay. So a fighter, when I've taken on, on the business, we manage fighters, right? That That's our role. The fighter has a team, not just a manager. They have a team. They have a trainer. They have a cut man. They have a nutritionist. They have a strength coach. And 99% of the time, they will have an advisor. Now, that could be Daniel. That could be a family member. It could be a cousin. It could be their father that's maybe been through the whole ranks with them. There's always someone around them that's given them advice. We don't employ any of these people, right? We don't. They, there's they, they've got no official connection to MTK. Oh, well, sometimes I think you're better off saying nothing in situations like this. I I defer to my friend Riku, who who knows all the comms and PR side of these things. Sometimes I think it's best to, to not say anything because then you just leave yourself open for questions. And then there's some obvious questions which say, you know, it's like, who bought Daniel Kinahan's interests? Or when he did have an involvement with MTK, who bought him out? When was that? And when you did buy MTK, what did you buy? Did you just buy fighters' contract? Were there premises? Was there a gym involved? What was the consideration for that deal? All these sorts of questions are stuff that you'd want to know more about. But I think the reality is that Daniel Kinahan has probably separated himself from the MTK entity that we know. He probably doesn't have any fingerprints over that. Does that mean he has no influence over it? No, because Sandra Vaughan has said herself, he can advise. And he's a pretty powerful guy to advise. And I always think back to the Death Row era and Suge Knight. And when Suge Knight was that guy in the music business that was able to make things happen that had seemed impossible before. And maybe Daniel Kinahan has a bit of that about him where he can make deals happen that couldn't happen before. You know, we're hearing Bob Arum talk about Daniel Kinahan now. We're seeing Daniel Kinahan working with, I think it's Bahrain, and being a consultant and advisor for bringing boxing to the Middle East. I'm not going to hate on a guy who's done that because no matter what his background is, and be absolutely clear about one thing. If you really think boxing is a sport where there's no criminal suspicion and no criminal element, you're deluded. Right? I tell you something, some of those criminals involved in boxing are really in it for themselves in a way that would depress you. One thing we have to say with absolute clarity is Whoever Daniel Kinahan's advising and we're hearing things, it seems to be stuff that the fans want. So if Daniel Kinahan's advising on how you make Fury versus Joshua, that's a fight I want. If Daniel Kinahan's advising Billy Joe Saunders on his next move, and hopefully it's like a Golovkin, that's a fight that I want. If he fights Billy Joe Saunders, still a fight that I want. If Daniel Kinahan's advising the young up-and-coming guys to box an MTK shows, fine because what mtk have done is they remove that geographical barrier so 
they've made it possible to create stars that can challenge the televised guys. You know, Dan Aziz. Where would Dan Aziz be without MTK? Where would Stephen Ward be without MTK? Liam Conroy's had a, a bit of a resurgence thanks to MTK. MTK have done a lot of things, and if Kinahan's behind it, advising these guys, then fair play to him. If he's not, fair play because he's clearly the power broker in the Middle East. That's a hell of a move. I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you do it clean, whether you do it dirty. To go from nowhere to being the most influential person in the Middle East in terms of boxing and probably other things. Fair play. And I, and I don't want this to be a, oh, he's just kissing Daniel Kinahan's ass. I'm just basically saying my connection with boxing works in two ways. One, hopefully I train guys that win titles. That's important to me. Two, as a boxing fan, just give me the fights I want to see. MTK deliver on that, right? MTK deliver, even to a point where, like with Dan Aziz versus Andre Sterling, I'm like, whoa, that's too soon. But you wouldn't see that on another promoter's show because they just want to keep their ticket sellers churning over. So what I will say is, let's leave off MTK. If there are any holes in there, let's let law enforcement deal with that. That is their job. Our job as boxing fans is to demand the fights we want to see. If Daniel Kinahan, if anyone associated with him, if anyone not associated with him is able to give us those fights, I'm behind them. Because I've been starved of good fights for so long, I legitimately just want some good fights. That's my take on the MTK thing. May they live long and prosper. May they keep making compelling fights. Shouts out to Lee Eaton. Um, you know, that there, there's a guy who you can't say has been involved in anything crazy because we remember him from the unlicensed scene. So fair play to him. And look, the fights we want to see are happening. And as I said before, long may that continue. Let's just wrap up this episode by just probably just touching on a few things which I did want to say. I think the things I was whinging about before have held true in terms of boxing content. So what I find really interesting, like I like to track numbers. Uh, I'm a bit like Porky Russ in that sense, that I quite like numbers because, you know, you can interpret numbers any different way, but the number you see on the paper is the number you see. Like there's no, there's no playing around and there's no jimmying with some of these things. Let's just talk about numbers. And Instagram Live has been an absolute boon for people who like to watch boxing or maybe are involved in it because Instagram Live showed how irrelevant boxing is and it showed how irrelevant boxers are because all the guys that went on Instagram Live, look, I saw a lot of boxing outlets, media outlets, podcasts, whatever, going on Instagram Live and they were getting 18 viewers but they're claiming that they do thousands of spins every week. Doesn't make any sense. Where are you promoting your Instagram Live? This doesn't make any sense. Your fans clearly don't engage with you on Instagram. Okay. But there were guys doing 18, 20. It was embarrassing. You're watching some of these boxers jumping on an Instagram Live because it doesn't require them to do anything other than laze around. And they're getting their 15 views. You can't sell tickets off that. 18 views. You're not selling tickets off that. And then you move a tear up. And I saw some of the Goodwin stuff. And I'm not targeting Goodwin, but he's just one of the promoters that's done it. And I'd rather Steve hadn't done it because I don't think Steve has to. 
Where's the rest of the Goodwin clan? Why isn't anyone else stepping up and filling in for Steve? Let Steve take a step back. Let Steve, you know, have some sunset walks with his wife or whatever. Let Steve not just have to keep pushing things. Because I think as Steve keeps telling us, he's a manager, not a promoter. Okay. Potato, potato, whatever. But Steve goes on. And his numbers weren't great. Like, you know, he had laid, and I saw when he had Ellie Scott in the on, that must have done like 140 spins. Okay. So at that point, I'm like, for 140 spins, my ego couldn't sustain me long enough to stay on that video. I'd have just binned it. I'd have said, guys, this ain't working. This isn't what I want. Done. Then we look at Coogan. I saw Coogan do some, some, some stuff with Tebbit. It was terrible. Those two guys are not built for, for being in front of the camera, and I think they'd admit that themselves. That did about 220 spins. Tops. Think about that. 220 spins. Jill Scott and Erica Badu can do 722,000 concurrent views on Instagram Live. And the supposed biggest boxing outlets in the UK, between them did 223 spins. Magnitude's an important thing. What I love is, Tyan Booth comes in at 400 spins. He'll pretty much hit 400 consistently. And the thing about Instagram Live views is it's very hard to jimmy those because you have to be logged in and watching. It checks for that. That's why you can't, you can't jimmy that system. You can jimmy your YouTube numbers. You can't play around on Instagram. So Tyan Booth can do 400. That's probably nearly double what Tebbit and Cassius are doing. So whose fans are really behind their people? This is what I mean. Hearn will do two and a half thousand. I've seen guys like Jamel Herring, and I like Jamel Herring. I think he has a compelling story. I think he's a hell of a fighter. I think the fight with Frampton will be worth waiting for. But he's jumping on outlets and he's doing 32 views and it's hurting me. Meanwhile, Adrian Broner can get to 900, 1,000 views. That's, for boxing, that's pretty elite. Mayweather does 10, 12,000 comfortable, sometimes even 30 or 40,000. Mayweather doesn't play either. And so this is what I mean. Let's have a sense of perspective when boxing comes back. These guys who claim to be the voice of British boxing, they're not the voice of British boxing. And that's not me taking shots. It's just saying, look, the voice of British boxing struggled to do more than 220 spins. Dave Caldwell was doing in the 180s, 190s. And Dave whores himself out to any media outlet. And that's not me taking shots, it's just being real. So where are all these boxing fans? You know, has Bazinga got them locked up? No. What I love about this process is it's shown that one thing that stays true is if you do quality content and you give your fans the very thing they ask you for. And in my case, it's, no bullshit is give, give us some truth, give us your take on things, give us a bit of an inside perspective. You know, your fans will stay with you. That's why my numbers have gone up through this lockdown. And I'm grateful for all the guys who are extending the reach and pushing the product, giving reviews and, you know, just sharing it. It's really appreciated. But just keep watching these numbers because when we come back, and indeed we will come back, I don't want to hear about these 
We did a million views. We did record views. I don't want to hear about this because I saw you in your living room. You couldn't do 250. These are facts. It's not interpretation. These are facts. You couldn't do that in your bedroom. You are interviewing these people at Michaela Mayer, you know, these Olympians, these world champions, and it's not going above 300. Tyron Booth just shows up, does 400, drinking his Echo Falls and chilling. There you go, guys. That's your boxing. Now, um, this is just a bit of a warm-up episode. I might drop another one straight after this. I don't know. You know thank you, lucky stars. But in essence, that's kind of what I mean. You know, let's see what happens after the lockdown because these numbers will never be forgotten when these guys start to talk about we're doing record views. Because in this lockdown, I'm waiting for someone to say we did record views. <laughs> hey, take care, guys. <laughs>